happy Friday and welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. And because it's Friday, you know who we have as our guest, but uh, it's not just the regular guest. I, I feel a need to have a special introduction to New York Times bestselling author Tim Miller, who is number two on the New York Times bestseller list. So y'all still losing your shit about this, Tim? Can we just pump in some music? You know, some, like, you, uh, we, we, we need something. Some queen, some you know, glory. I, I turned on Gloria when I get when I got the text the other day. I got out on the deck, you know, made myself a little cocktail. Did you really? You um, did that? Yeah. Oh hell yeah! Oh yeah! Oh. I, was, I was blasting some tunes, some victory tunes for myself. Um, you know. Okay, so, so it was which which middle one? Of the afternoon, and I was alone. Can, can you give me the playlist. Um, because um, I want to know what it's like to be a New York Times bestseller list. You know, I mean, it's like you go okay. It we feels really good. Yeah, no, I started with Gloria, and I had oh, I Gloria. played a little Queen. I played some Lady Gaga. Um, I played some Beyonce. And, okay, Lady Gaga. Uh, which you know, Lady Gaga? Was, Come on, spy, we need details. Details um, here. I, I, well, on. I did a little self. It was only, it was myself. So I did a self-deprecating joke with myself, and I played the Edge of Glory since I am a New York Times bestseller, but I was number two. Um, so I was on the edge well, of glory. Maybe you may, um, maybe well hold it. No, no, I'm sorry. Number two is 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 glory. It it, it really is. So. It's glory. It's glory. So, I, I know, but I also just love the edge of glory. So I felt like it was both a celebration okay. and uh, and you know keeping my own self in check in the playlist. But um, I kind of forget. Uh, I, I went into some LCD sound system. I think um, you know some dance yourself clean. I was dancing and uh, it was okay, it was this really. This is an important. This is it an important. Really, it was really an enjoyable like twenty minutes. I was texting, you know, everybody. Twenty minutes. Um, it, it lasted twenty minutes before what the 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 anxiety and the self loathing came back. What I mean, twenty minutes <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, but it was a good twenty minutes. Okay, so th- uh, uh, Charlie. Uh, this this is really what good. it's been amazing, okay. and and and, the, and you all and you all are so key to all this. And did I just well, do you. one other self-deprecating thing? Um, oh sure. But because I last week, last Tuesday, you had me on on the day of, yeah. And and obviously, I think this is a victory for me, of course, but it's also a victory for the bulwark. You know that we've got this audience that's pushing us up the charts these days. You know, not everybody has an audience pushing them up the charts. I'm not going to name names, but there are some other outlets whose <laughs> books are out, who their their people aren't getting on the charts. So it's a little me, but it's a little the bulwark. I appreciate that. Um, but I was so caught up in my gratefulness to everybody last week on Tuesday. You were. That I, I don't even remember doing this. I like blacked out. I must have blacked out when I said this. And I said, you know, the, the promotion for getting a signed book plate is over. But if you want to just message me, I'll, I'll send you one. And I have. Oh, no. Like, a, like a, I mean, oh, I, have, no. I, don't, I, I don't even know how to count. I have dozens upon dozens of messages from loyal board podcast should, listeners. Should have run that past me. Yeah. 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 yeah sending me their address. Addresses. And so I just want to say to everybody right now, it'll happen. Okay. I'm a man of my word. I, it will, I will send every single person that DM'd me a book plate. I will do it. But like, just be, just be, put your feet up. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, Labor Day. Maybe it'll be coming through late August. Like it's going to happen. I'm going to get to it. But uh, I, I bit off a little more than I could chew on that promise last week. So I'm grateful to everybody. And it was, that's good. That's a good problem to have that you're so excited on such a high. That that you know you, your graciousness gets you get a little out over your skis on the graciousness, but well, so this is an important cultural moment, and I, and I, and I wanted to just to acknowledge this because so often um, when people you know win the Nobel Prize or become New York Times bestseller list, they'll they'll put out a statement like, "I am humbled by this." You're not having any of that. <laughs> it's 
I'm it's not like, humble. So somebody somebody tweeted this out. Like Christine Lagarde won some prestigious awards. Says, I am so humbled to win this prestigious award. And they're saying the contrast with Tim Miller, who just tweets out, "Y'all, I'm losing my shit." This is this is like refreshing. It's like Tim Miller Thank is you. not pretending to go. I am so humbled by this. No, you're going, this is fantastic. You're sitting on your deck playing We Are the Champions. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, this is, Charlie, this is the key inside of the book, though. You know, I think, or no, not not the key, but one of them is, is just, it's not full of shit. All these political books, you know, even the honest ones, even the tell-alls are like a little bit full of shit because these people are still angling for things. And I'm just not. And so I th- I hope that that's what people like about it and why people are reading it. And, uh, you know, so I can't start being full of shit once I get on the New York Times bestseller list. I got to, you know, stick with what brung me. Okay, so this is a lot of fun, obviously. So what okay. we, we, we kind of can guess like the, the, the best and worst parts of the book tour and everything. So what's the worst part of the book tour? Just being judged, um, you know, like by anonymous people, by random people. I, you know, the New York Times wrote a nice review. Everyone else is like sending me all these texts about how great the New York Times review is, and I'm just obsessing over three sentences that I hate. You know, and uh, which, my, my editor said, but the well, one where you're about how mean up. you are. Yeah, one of them called me a little mean, and then, you know, another one kind of revisited some old scandal in my past. I was like, did you really have to put this in there? And then and then they compare me to Stu Stevens. You know, and so it's just like... Who did they compare did I, you to? You, Stuart you... Stevens, who I love. I love Stuart <laughs> Stevens. But I'm like, did we... I did, you know, did he really have to be reflective while I was mean? I mean, I Are think you we're kidding both... Are refle- okay, I think see, we're both a little reflective and both a little mean. So This, this anyway, by the way... I, I this, get it. Okay, get this, it. Is, this, is, this is important, because I think this, this is a... The, the human psychology, how it works, because <laughs> there is this absolute cataract of praise and good reviews for yes. your book. <laughs> but you are obsessing about three sentences in an otherwise yeah. adoring piece in the New York Times. But this is the way yeah. people's minds work, which – and I think maybe we are this way, I haven't even got way, to the right? anonymous people on the internet. Oh, I'm, I'm going to – we're, we're going to get to that. Don't, I promise we're going to get to that in a moment. But, I mean, this is the way I think the human mind is wired, that, that we're, you know, we're, we're not, you know, basking on the savanna. We're thinking about, is there is there a lion in the grass over there? Is he going to come and eat me? So you focus on those few negative things. And everyone that I know has this experience. So there's always that moment where you go, look, um, could you at least, like, spend 20 minutes, as you apparently did, focusing on the good stuff before we get to the bad stuff? So I guess the question then would be, uh, b- b- since we're going to focus just for a moment on this, so right now you've you've written a book about you know all of these you know about about your life as a as a hatchet man, about you know what what you did in in the past, and then this critique of people who sold themselves out. So, who hates you the most right now, Tim? Oof, that's a good question. Would it be other authors who are not on the New York Times bestseller? <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah, maybe other authors. I, I think there's, I think there are three people in the category. Other authors who are not on the bestseller list. There's a certain type of progressive that just doesn't want us never Trumpers to ever get a nice thing, which I actually kind of understand. But like some of them are really mean about it, and so you know, I've, I've, <laughs> some of them are very upset. And I think the third person would have to be Sean Spicer. <laughs> Uh, I think Sean Spicer uh, would or would maybe be number one. I think I did it in kind of reverse order. That did he write something about this? I missed this. Uh, no, he's not written anything, but okay. I did have a mutual friend uh, who bumped into Sean Spicer uh, at a party last weekend. And 
his review, I guess, was not was not at all like the New York Times or James Carville or all the other people who have written political. You, you, you felt bad about that, very right? loving things. So, so you felt feel, bad no, about that? I, I, no. I don't feel bad about that at all, no. It almost is like, you know, you have this little sword hanging over your head. I felt like it's in a book like this where I'm like, someone's going to call and yell at me. And it hasn't happened. Nobody's called and yelled at me. And I'm, I almost like feel like I need it. Like I was like, I just need that one little person to yell at me just to be like, okay, well, now that's over. Um, but uh, but I have, he, no, none of them have had the courage to. I, I guess okay. it shouldn't be surprising that all the people who didn't have the courage to stand up to Trump don't have the courage to actually just call me and tell me I'm an asshole to my face. But um, that's what happened. This is why you come on this podcast, though. Okay, so you tweeted out this morning the most important and mortifying thread that has been written to date about why we did it by Scott Conroy. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, um, unkind. No, please, uh, do uh, it. Tell me who Bring Scott me down Conroy is. No, no, no. Who, Scott no who's Conroy's- Scott yeah, he's a friend of mine. He used to be okay. a, a political reporter, okay. and now he is a, a screenwriter in okay. Uh, LA. Okay, okay. So he wrote. I'm going to read the full uh, text, then we're going to go back through it. Okay. Why We Did It, the title of your um, New York Times bestselling book, number two, Why We Did It by true-believing GOP dweeb kid turned hatchet man, unironically excited about Jeb, exclamation point, maybe he still is, question mark, turned black V-neck-wearing Bay Area content creator. Tim Miller, is an outstanding read because it's self-aware, funny, pulls zero punches in service of the truth. So let's go back over this. So you were a true-believing GOP dweeb kid? Yeah. Yeah, we talked dweeb. about that a little bit in the book. What's, what's the dweeb? I was a dweeb. I was you, a dweeb. you were a dweeb? Um, yeah, I was, I was in Model UN. I mean, I turn, turned around in high school and stuff. I mean, eventually I got cool um, eventually, but I, I was a late bloomer. And um, I was very excited about Model UN um, in high in high school, and I was a, a, a. I mean, look, Charlie, Charlie, I was 16 years old. Okay, when I when I volunteered on my first political campaign, like, what were the cool kids doing when they were 16? Not like going to march and parades for Bill Owens, you know? Okay. Like that's not what they were doing. I promise. Okay. So, okay, so I was dweeb. a earnest GOP dweeb kid. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay, turned hatchet man. You were we you were a lot. mean, nasty hatchet man, right? A little bit mean. The answers have gotten shorter here. I mean, I mean, when we first started on this, you just went on and on and on and on and on. I mean, you had the whole playlist. Well, I asked I, you, you were a hatchet man, and it's like, yes. Yeah, well, well, I had, I have, I had a. I thought we were going down all the other praise I've gotten. I have a very long list of praise that I was planning on talking <laughs> about. But okay, let's keep, let's keep going. Hatchet man, yeah, that's true. Check. Okay, unironically excited about Jeb exclamation point and then he links to the fact that you did get a tingle up your leg about jeb didn't you this is brutal this, this was this, this was is the, the this, this is the, the hammer part. this okay. was the hammer this is the, you can okay. just tell you can tell him what he did he, uh, it's in the thread underneath that first tweet he 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 links his evidence the oppo um <laughs> the receipts as the kids call it these days he brings the receipts on on how excited i was about jeb so go ahead you can read no it. no 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 i i just i'm just pointing this out i did okay well I'll, I'll do it just people people need to understand just how um, how bad it was. Uh, Jeb gives his first speech of his of the pre-campaign, not his announcement, at CPAC. Um, I thought he did pretty good, actually, in that speech. One man's opinion. And he goes off stage to Bruno Mars. Uh, and the Bruno Mars refrain is, don't don't believe me, just watch, or don't believe it, just watch. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big Bruno Mars man. Mm-hmm. So one of those two. And uh, and so I just tweet that phrase, don't believe me, just watch, like, and then like hashtag Jeb exclamation point, hashtag CPAC. I, that was just a 
earnest tweet that I sent. I was so excited about Jeb that the Bruno Mars song came on and it spoke to me. And I was, I was telling the audience, you don't have to believe me. Just watch Jeb perform live in action. And okay, I, I, I am. I am not. I am not. By reading that, I am not dunking on you because I actually had a, a conversation with somebody yesterday. I, I ran through a list of all of the you know front running candidates for president who were like the next big thing who turned out to be duds. I mean, you know, remember President Fred Thompson? Remember when Wesley Clark was the front runner? You know, John Connolly, Teddy Kennedy. You know, all of these people. I had a conversation with somebody about. I think. I think it was the same CPAC conference where Scott Walker spoke and this person was saying I just thought it was fantastic I thought this is it this is this is the peak of it <laughs> probably was it. so so there are there are people out there who who sat there and thought hey you know Scott Walker he's the savior of the Republican party here's Jeb Bush okay so so now you are a black v-neck wearing bay area content creator I don't That's I, right. I, how many black v-neck I, I don't know you you seem to have like a wider variety of clothing. You haven't, you I know. do have a lot of shirts. That's true, but um, I, I guess Scott sees me. Uh, one difference, one special. He insight, didn't mention which the pearls. This, yeah, one one insight though that makes the these this sting a little more. You know, is that Scott sees me off Zoom. You know, Scott sees me at ten thirty at night oh. after two bourbons at a concert, so he knows what I oh, wear okay. to the bar. Okay, you know? all right, so okay. I, I feel all like right. that—that's kind of him twisting the knife. Is that this is my the black V-neck is my bar, my Saturday night bar outfit. So I have to admit that I've been listening to you on other podcasts, but really fascinating, including our, our good friend Steve Hayes over at The Dispatch, where the last <laughs> that 10 was fun, minutes— wasn't it? Well, this was a very interesting, and I think it kind of became a debate in, in the last 10 minutes of the podcast about the whole question of stay or go. And um, I thought it was one of those where I, I afterwards I was thinking this is an interesting exchange between two really really intelligent people. And of course, you are asking, you know, how could you possibly have joined the the Trump administration after Charlottesville after all of this stuff? There's just no excuse. He was making the case, yes, but shouldn't we be grateful for the grownups in the room at the end there? You know, the people who are the Secretary of Defense's or the leaders of the Department of Justice. So tell me how you know again, you know. I, my main takeaway, and I want to hear your your takeaway, obviously, of this, was that you didn't completely disagree. He was, you were making the point that particularly if you're a lower level comms aide, there's just no fucking excuse. The fact that you stuck around to the end because you yeah. knew better, whereas he was making the the point that yes, but you had to be awfully happy that there were certain national security aides and secretaries of defense and maybe leaders of the Department of Justice, the people who could even actually Bar, make it. In. He even mentioned. All right, mentioned so so tell me how at the end of that, you know, how you sort out the should you stay or should you go thing worked yeah. out. Well, I don't. For starters, I don't want to just speak out of turn, and people should listen to it. I don't want to yeah, misrepresent Steve's argument. Yeah. Um, and um, and we could. I wish we could have done another hour. Um, unfortunately, yeah, it we had was a hard really out, good. And we, it was yeah. just get, it was just getting hot. Yeah. And so yeah. I said, I've, we've had a lot of feedback, so we might need to do another crossover event to just fully flesh it all out. But yeah, I mean, in short, it was the argument that Steve was making was essentially that you know it's thank God we had yeah. Esper. And Barr and Cipollone, and I, I always mispronounce his name, but, you know, yeah. these types around or else, you know, who knows what could have happened on January 6th. And my argument was, A, did any of these guys actually do anything to try to stop Trump when we had a chance to stop Trump before the election? 
And B, like, are we sh- not sure that we wouldn't be in a better place if they had not put bumpers on him and treated him like a baby? Like, maybe we could have gotten the 17 votes in the Senate to actually convict this person if people had to see raw Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and the Kraken lady and Lynn Wood yeah. running the government for two months. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe there would have been a bigger catastrophe. I, I get that. I, I don't. They, it wouldn't have been a successful coup. So, you know, maybe we could have seen... Uh, you know, a little bit more clearly and the Mitch McConnell's of the world, the Tim Scott's and the other quote unquote good Republican adults might have like had the Rob Portman's might have had the courage to like vote to vote to convict um, if we wouldn't have had, you know, Bill Barr or whoever, Cipollone putting the putting the bumpers on it. So that was the core of the argument. And um, and, and I thought it was interesting. And I, I, I don't I obviously strongly believe in my side of this argument, but I don't it's a counterfactual. Right. So you don't really know what the downside would have been had had Trump been left to his own devices. I, I do also think it's interesting. We didn't have time to get into this. But, you know, there's this argument that is ongoing, that is happening on the good Republican side that says that, you know, those of us, us never Trumpers, like we just look at the the, the ideologues and the, the base and the, those mouth breathers and rubes, you know, and we don't uh, and we don't disrespect them. But yet it's like it's not us who are the ones who are saying I'll, I'm, us, I'm lumping you in, Charlie. You, I don't know exactly what your opinion is, but on this debate, but it's not me who, who's saying that these people shouldn't get the government that they voted for, right? It's like it's a, it, you know, it's the people who who are trying to say, well, I'm looking out for the MAGA voter and the forgotten man, right. etc., who are the ones who treat them like they're babies and who say, I think say that's actually, true. actually, I... the person that we voted for shouldn't get the people that they want. We need to protect them from their own actions. I mean, these are all grownups. Grownups voted for Donald Trump. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have stopped him from, you know, pressing the nuclear button, but but maybe we'd be in a better place now if, if we had to live with the consequences of Donald Trump instead of a bunch of people, you know, deciding that they got f- big fancy jobs and fancy titles that they can dine out on for the rest of their lives, claiming that they were protecting us from him when really that they were helping on their career and did absolutely nothing to stop them when the chance prevented itself. Well, that, that's where I like. This is why your book is so valuable. And I'm going to say this in your presence. I won't say this behind your back. This is why it is so brilliant and why it is so valuable to read, even for those of us who have been immersed in all of this, because you really do drill down into the all of the ways in which people rationalized their appeasement of Donald Trump, their enabling of Donald Trump. And, you know, I would strongly urge people to read it. There are a lot of different categories, you know, the people who just want to be in the mix, the people who want to be relevant, the people who think that they're the saviors, um, you know, just the people who are trapped in, in, in the tribe. And, you know, what really strikes me reading your book, though, is that it's not just an historical analysis of what happened. It's really an analysis of the psychology that enables Donald Trumpism to continue and prospectively what a Donald Trump 2.0 would be like because the same kinds of people who rationalized going along with him after Charlottesville, after this, after that, all of these things, will find a way to rationalize going along with Donald Trump, uh, you know, this this, this disgraced, defeated, you know, liar, narcissist, uh, you know, twice impeached president, if he goes back into the Oval Office. It will be the exact same process because your book- You can already see is, it. Is a, you can already, and especially, and I have to say that having read your book, once you have that lens, you understand what's going to happen and how it will play right. out. So this is why this book, I think, feels different than many of the other excellent books that are out there. Because you look at that and you go, 
Okay, this is where a, someone like a Sean Spicer comes from. This is how a Reince Priebus will think this through. This is how you know the, the Republican establishment will talk to themselves and will be able to sleep at night going along with putting him back you know, in charge of the nuclear uh, button. So, Can I give uh, again, a prime yeah. example of this sure, from this week, perfect. Charlie, uh, you know, yeah. that just looks forward? Is this Mick Mulvaney situation? Yes. Let's call it the affair of Mick Mulvaney, right? Yeah. So he's he served Donald Trump in all these different capacities. Now he's out and he's you know wants a TV career for some reason. Yep. For some reason, people are putting him on TV. But he's on CNN, and you know he's talking about how well you know I, I do think that the the January sixth committee has been convincing in some ways and maybe the party is ready to move on yeah. to Ron DeSantis and or Mike Pence and I think that might be a good thing that said though you know Liz Cheney has no credibility and, and yeah what was that know, I mean she, yeah. you can't you can't trust her and you can't believe her and yeah what was that I'm just this is what I'm saying I you so in the one hand you could see the Mick Mulvaney and you could say oh Maybe that guy's coming into the light. Yep. But then when you think of the minutes. context of the enablers in the book, you're like, oh, no, you're just Josh Holmes. You know, you're just all the, you're just Lindsey Graham from the January 6th chapter. Like, you're not actually coming into the light. Like, you're trying to maintain your access and your power, your, your access to power and your influence by nudging us to, to Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence. But really, you know, the people that are actually fighting to try to stop Donald Trump, they're the real bad ones, right? Like, on balance, you know, if you could snap your fingers and make, you know, the, there's this Henry Barber character in the book. I kind of like Henry Barber. He's one of the more sympathetic people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you could tell he's mad about January 6th. But then I ask him at the end, so you won't, you won't be for Trump in 2024, right? And he hedges. His voice catches. He can't, doesn't answer. And it's like this. You're you guys are the same character, Mick Mulvaney. I think you are legitimately upset at Trump, and and you legitimately didn't like January sixth. But you're trying to have the easy way out, which is like nudge your way into somebody you like a little bit better, like Mike Pence, rather than doing what it takes okay. to break. Explain that. Explain what 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 the key is there, because they they want to stay in the mix. They want to stay yeah. relevant. They want to still be part of that Republican world, and they know that if they say. No, I can't support Trump. That that's a ticket to excommunication. Liz right? Ch yeah, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger land, yeah. and that's why they that's why they attack Liz Cheney. The same thing happened. So I was on CNN last night, and 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 it's funny they're playing the Mick thing, and it, and I, this is just all going through my head. And Scott Jennings, who's an advisor to yeah. McConnell, is on, is on the CNN <laughs> yeah. panel. Yeah, exactly. Do a deep breath. Yeah. He does the same exact thing as Mick. You know, it's like, well, there's some bad stuff out here. Cassidy's testimony is pretty compelling. That said, I, you know, how can you trust a committee that's Adam Schiff and like and Liz Cheney's just going along with these libs? This is the line. You know, they walk up to the line, but they try to nudge in the right direction that they want. But in the end, they're still a collaborator. They're right. still an enabler. They can't break because to break would mean that you say, well, no, Liz Cheney is actually showing courage. She, Liz Cheney is speaking the truth. I agree with Liz Cheney. I'm still a conservative, but, but, but I also am a person who sees reality as it is in the same way that Liz Cheney and Adam Kinziger do. Now, now that is how you break out of the complex of all the enablers that I write about. But 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 these guys, if you're not willing to say that, if you're not willing to go there, all you're doing is signaling to me, having interviewed all these people, is, oh, yeah, you'll go back to Trump when it's time. Right? You're, you, oh, might not, you, know, you might not love him, but you're going to go back to him when it's time. And that's what I see in Scott Jennings and Mick Mulvaney. I'd love for them to prove me wrong, but I haven't been proven wrong yet. Well, that, that's why people need to read your book, because they need to be prepared for that process and how it's going to happen, which will – if you don't have this template, 
a lot of what's going to happen, I think, will will feel like it's incomprehensible. Okay, well, let's limit this. Flip the card a little bit, though. How do you explain the psychology of, and you you, you alluded to this, the psychology of progressive activists, including people like uh, Don Winslow, who's a filmmaker, you know, anti-Trump, progressive novelist and everything, you know, big Twitter guy, who is obsessively, I mean obsessively, attacking right now Liz Cheney. It's like this is the moment. When Democrats are facing a wipeout in the midterms, when we are facing this existential challenge of the coup, at this moment, they've decided that, no, we can't like Liz Cheney because, you know, she's still a conservative Republican pro-lifer. And therefore, we got to make sure that we tell all progressives, don't give any credit to these folks who've thrown themselves on the grenade to protect democracy because X, Y, Z. Just explain that to me. Because you experienced that. I experienced that. What? Oh, yeah, I got it hard yesterday. My Reddit AMA. All these anonymous liberals on Reddit are like, you should donate all of your money that you've ever made to the Planned Parenthood. And I'm just like, I, I, okay, I hear you. I'm doing my best. Okay, I'm trying. I fought Trump in two primaries, but no, no, there's, you can never do enough. Here's something that I'm a little bit concerned about when it comes to the left. And I'm just going to do a big right now at the front of these comments, just say this is not an equivalence. I I think that there is, and I discuss this in the book, there are very big differences in what's happening in the progressive media and conservative media and and, in the coalitions on the left and on the right. There there are differences. There are more antibodies on the left to the crazy and the rage. That doesn't mean that there aren't also parallels. And and what I write about in the backwards looking section of the book where I talk about my complicity working with conservative media types is this addiction to the rage juice, right? This addiction to yep. the daily outrage where you are made to feel like you are good and the other your, – your, your fellow American is made to be seen as evil. And, and every day, every hour, you get this little new drop. You know, what's the latest hit that I can get of this endorphin rush? And we fed that in the right. And so I think that there was a lot of stuff already, you know, that we were tapping into, a lot of grievance that already existed that was exacerbated by what was happening in the conservative media. And again, well, I, I don't think it's equivalent or the same or we're nearly at the same, you know, red mark on the RPMs on the left. That is still there. And, and people like Don and, uh, and you see it, others in, in resistance media types, you get that little endorphin rush, right? And it's like, it's, you don't get the endorphin rush for saying, well, you know, I think that it's nice that the Democrats uh, compromised on this gun bill and that the Democrats are working with a good person like Liz Cheney to nudge things the right direction. That doesn't give you the same rush. And I do think there's this a big difference so in the left media yeah, and the right so media and that there's there are some left media who are being good, you know, and who, who are praising Liz Cheney. So it's not uniform like it is in the right media. But there are people on the left that use that same tactic on the right, that it's like, no, you need to be mad at Liz Cheney because she is pro-life and she said this mean thing about Ralph Northam four years ago. And like you need to be mad at Adam Kinzinger because he didn't vote for this bill. And you need to be mad at, at at even Democrats, right? You need to be mad at Joe Manchin and mad at Kristen Cinema and mad at Nancy Pelosi and mad at Chuck Schumer and mad at anyone who's not like uh, walking the right line. You see it on TV, like people, you know, yelling at Biden for not being mad enough. We saw this after the shooting. People were upset. People, Biden wasn't mad enough about the shooting. Or after Roe. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, I, 
Okay, I guess. But at the same time, Biden also just was the first president in a long time to pass a gun reform bill. Wasn't perfect, but can't, but but you know, doing a media th- a boost that's like, hey, Joe Biden <laughs> compromised and got a gun bill done. That doesn't feed the rage the way that saying that these guys are fucking assholes does. So that's concerning. Yeah, this is a very, very important point here to understand a lot of what's going on, this addiction to the rage juice, as you as you describe it, because um, obviously you don't get the endorphin rush from compromise. You don't get an endorphin rush from bipartisanship. You don't get a, an endorphin rush from governance. So all of the incentives now in politics have shifted from you know getting things done, being pragmatic, being prudent, being reasonable to – Again, stoking the perpetual grievance machine and pumping out the rage juice, which then explains this moment that we're in. I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about just briefly, because we discussed it at length with David from uh, yesterday, the contrast between the conservative party in Britain, which still has guardrails, still has red lines versus the Republican party, and whether or not, and again, I, I always am on guard against any kind of irrational exuberance, but whether or not there is a a uh, crazy Republican meltdown in the Senate where we, everyone has been assuming that the Republicans will take control of the House. We're likely to take control of the Senate, but we are having stories out of Georgia, Arizona, Missouri, Wisconsin, Nevada, which would suggest that that maybe the Trumpian obsession is about to backfire in Great Britain. Boris Johnson yep. goes down not because the Labor Party and the resistance brought him down. They had no role whatsoever to play in this, really. It was the conservatives who said, you know, we actually still have some standards here and we're going to throw you out. The contrast between the conservatives having some sort of standard belated, obviously, way too late, way too convoluted, but they have some standards as opposed to the Republican Party. Um, your your thoughts about the conservative purge of yeah. Boris Johnson and, and how it stands in stark contrast to the Republican failure to draw a red line with Donald Trump. Frum was so good on this yesterday he that I, I, people should yeah. go listen to his yeah. answer too if you, if you didn't listen to that podcast. Um, I, I'm grateful if you're just, you know, a Friday mm-hmm. stand, but you should listen mm-hmm. to Frum yesterday. He was awesome. I, I, my, this, I'll give a shorter version. The structural differences are real. And and we shouldn't ignore that. And and again, and maybe I think the JVL's been on this in the triad. Maybe mm-hmm. really the Democrats erred, but I and and I understand why they didn't do this, and not focusing on making some structural changes. You know, while they had this trifecta, rather than focusing on policy stuff. Now maybe you couldn't have gotten Manchin on board for that anyway. But 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 I, I think that the nature of of how the parliamentary system and how the, how their system works is a big difference. But here's the other difference: cultural. Like the cultural, the culture of the of of British politics, you know, is as David laid out yesterday that that the head you head of your party they they serve at art, you know, discretion, right? And that that there is some benefits actually to saying, okay, we're going to move you aside and bring somebody else in, and for whatever reason, like that culture is inverse in in American politics, and and that and that these cowards like could not recognize that they had the same exit strategy as as the UK did. They didn't even need to, to have political courage, actually. Like, they just needed to deal with a short-term hit. Because just, let's just deal with this counterfactual really quick. 25th Amendment, let's say that that had happened at, on January 6th night. Mike Pence comes in as president. We have a Mike Pence-Ron DeSantis primary in 2024. 
are the Republicans really any worse off today than they would be then? They might be better off. Is there a small, you know, will there be a small group of Trump loyalists, you know, the last fighting Japanese? I, I guess probably, there, you know, you might lose a little bit of enthusiasm. But I think that that enthusiasm would transfer over to, to one of these other guys pretty darn quick, especially when you consider the negative polarization in this country and all the rage shoes that we were just talking about. So uh, the medium to long term political opportunity was the same as it was in England. And yet these, you know, because of these complexes, because of the rationalizations, because of their cowardice, like the Republican Party just is too broken an institution to to be able to do it. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. So our friend Josh Kroshauer tweeted yesterday about the Senate races, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona Senate races all heading close to disaster territory for the GOP. Let's start uh, out with Georgia. (laughs) Not a surprise. Herschel Walker. This is a big story in the Daily Beast. Herschel Walker lied about his secret kids to his own campaign. Campaign sources are telling the Daily Beast painted a picture of an operation that for months has been at the mercy of a volatile, deceitful candidate. And I love this quote, a campaign's worst nightmare, the source said, it's like a shit show on a train in the middle of a wreck. And that doesn't appear to be hyperbole. So they have emails, texts, show advisors discussing how they don't trust Herschel Walker. They don't trust him to tell the truth to them. They don't trust him to handle the campaign event properly, harboring concerns that he's not mentally fit for the job. He spouts falsehoods like he's breathing, this advisor said. He's lied so much that we don't know what's true, adding that aides have zero trust in the candidate. The people interviewed for this article independently called him a pathological liar. (laughs) Hey, so that's working out well. But for other than Republican, that, uh, other than that, but that's not necessarily disqualifying for the Republican Party these days, right? I mean, this doesn't mean uh, he's no, dead. No, you know, I mean, like reality but, check, people. No. Oh no, he's definitely not dead. I, I don't want to make uh, make people think that as we get into this. I do think that the Republicans are are looking in the face of potentially just a disastrous self own in the Senate. Potentially, yeah. uh, it depends on how the environment is. Um, but, uh, you know, just really quick on the Herschel Walker thing yeah, in particular, please. you know, the whole Britney Spears debate, like how she was in this conservatorship. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I feel like Herschel Walker needs to be in a conservatorship, not in the oh, Senate. Yeah. Like, someone else needs like control of his bank accounts. Like this person like doesn't seem competent to make it through the day. And I'd wrote that long article about him, about how, yeah. he, you know, would, would play Russian roulette with people coming into his home. He's like he's lying. Like his staff knows. And this reminds me of being a little kid. And here, well, after writing this book where I talk about how, how about my own sins here, I'm adding another one that I didn't include in the book. But as a kid, I used to just kind of lie sometimes, I, you know, just a childish lies. And I just remember like being in middle school and like my parents had me dead to rights and I'd still look at their face and lie to them sometimes. <laughs> and I look back on that with like, what are you doing? I, I guess just, you know, being a kid and you like learn, you grow up, you mature and you're like, this is crazy. And, um, become more self-confident, more more willing to admit flaws. And like Herschel Walker is like sixth grade me, like changing my grade on my report card or whatever and like lying to my parents, even though that they like he like they had him. They had the documents in front of them at the table. 
Yeah, but you did not have secret children when you were in sixth grade, though. No, I didn't. I didn't have it. That's what I'm saying. He's talking about this. You may have pulled a lot of crazy shit, but you weren't playing Russian roulette with your friends. I'm just guessing. No, it was, yeah, okay. no I wasn't. It was not no. the same scale, but this, no. but the kind of lie, like the yeah. patheticness of the lie, right? That I'm lying about something that they know that they're going to find out the truth. He's like looking at this campaign staff, and they have like the documents in front of them. They're like, "Bro, you've got multiple kids outside of your wedlock," and he's like, "No, no, I don't." And they're like, "They show him the documents." Like, well, okay, okay, you got me on this. So, it's like, what are you talking about? You're supposed to be in the Senate. I mean, this is mad. This is madness. And this is a winnable seat in Georgia. Um, in Arizona, very, very in, Arizona has this Nazi adjacent GOP candidate who's been endorsed by the Daily Stormer, Blake Masters, who is the uh, Trumpist Peter Thiel backed candidate, and that's going well. And in Pennsylvania, Politico has a big article: "Where in the world is Doctor Oz?" Because he's gone dark. Maybe he's just gone to New Jersey where he lives. <laughs> I don't know. And then in Missouri, I'm, I have to admit, I am, I'm still a little obsessed about Missouri because you have Eric Greitens, the absolutely disgraced former governor who had to resign because of a sex scandal and other kinds of scandals, is still one of the leading Republican candidates for Senate. Uh, he's a former what, Navy SEAL, is that right? And, and he, he you know, has been posting these videos of him you know, hunting rhinos and everything. And one of his longest, closest friends, a guy named Ken Harbaugh, who's known Eric Reitens for 30 years, actually posted a video pleading with him to drop out of the race. I mean, you know things are really going badly when one of your oldest friends goes public and says, please, you're a broken man. People will die. You need to drop out. Can I just play this for you? His name is Ken Harbaugh. And Please. this is how the Republican campaign for the Senate is going in Missouri. By the way, a Senate seat that they have no business losing. They, it should not even be in play. But Eric Wright still has a shot, you know, despite the fact that he's been accused of beating his wife and his son and all that. He still has a shot of winning this primary. So let's just play Ken Harbaugh. Eric, I know you must be in a dark place to think what you're doing is worth it. I've known you for most of my life, from our first day at Duke to the time at Oxford. I remember your excitement coming back from the Democratic Convention and what it meant to see America's first black president elected. I went to your weddings. Your speech at the first one about saving the worms, I still remember it. Some of my best memories are just the two of us figuring out how to build a veterans organization. Do we take the Clinton Foundation money or not? That giant portrait of JFK in your office spoke volumes about your leadership values. I remember when you called to say you were running for governor. You had decided to do it as a Republican, but I figured a pro-choice, pro-gay marriage governor would be a win for Missouri. You asked me to donate $5,000. I didn't have it, but I took out a loan against my life insurance policy and mailed you a check. You asked if my mom, a lifelong Republican, could give as well. She did. Twice. Things have not gone as I expected. Eric, I want you to know that there are worse things in life than running for office honorably and losing. Trust me, I've done that. What you're doing now is not honorable, and it is not a reflection of the Eric I knew. Even if you do win, you're going to lose more than you can imagine by campaigning like this. You're called to hunt down Republicans who disagree with you? That's my mom, Eric. Just because she doesn't think the election was stolen, and let's be honest, you don't either, is not a reason to threaten her. She was one of the few people to reach out when you were forced to resign as governor. She wrote to you about grace and redemption. She reminded you that even the greatest sins, those against one's own family, can be forgiven. My kids, who you've played Legos with, Eric, are going to ask someday what I did for my country in this moment of peril. Yours are going to ask too. I know that weighs on you. Eric, what you're doing now is 
going to get someone killed. Do the right thing. Drop out. Focus on repairing the damage you have done. And pray it's not too late. All right, so Tim, I mean, that is, that is just brutal. And so, I mean, this, is, this has been happening around the country that you have this kind of this Trumpist, you know, extreme MAGA fever. And yet, you know, how is this going to play in November? I don't know what the rules are in politics anymore. Do you? Yeah, and you didn't even mention QAnon Ron. I'm going to get this to morning. Yeah. Your old man. R- R- oh, okay, R- we're getting there. Okay, R- Ron and on. Yeah, uh, Ron and on. Um, uh, so uh, there's a lesson here from France, I think, in this last election, um, uh, where Macron had Biden-esque approval ratings, maybe slightly higher than where Biden is getting now, but but pretty similar. Um, and yet, it, you know the the. The first round happens, and then he ends up getting against Le Pen, and then wins like kind of handily, despite having really poor approval numbers. It's like, well, how'd that happen? It's like, well, the other side nominated an insane person. Is how that happened, right? And this this polarization has has become such. We saw this in 2016 and 2020. The the big difference in 2016 and 2020 is that people who didn't like both candidates in 2016 went more for Trump and in 2020 went more for Biden. One of the big one of the big differences. And so uh, I, I could see this happening in the Senate races. Now, unfortunately, if you're Democrats, that's harder to do in the House races because, you know, people don't actually learn who the House candidate is most of the time and just kind of vote for whatever the party line is. But, um, but in the Senate with these, especially with these big names, like people in Georgia and Pennsylvania are going to know who Walker and Oz are. People in Missouri are going to know who Greitens is if he wins that primary. And, and so they're going to be making real choices, which is exactly what the Republicans don't want. This dude in North Carolina, they only hit it right in one of these primaries, which is this dude, Ted Budd, who's just like, who might, he might as well just be like generic Bubba running yeah. in North Carolina. And it's like, you, we don't need to know anything about Ted Budd. I'm just voting for Ted Budd as, as a way to, you know, give my you know, a disapproval to Joe Biden and the Democrats, right? And that, and and I don't really know anything about this guy. He's just going to be a generic MAGA bubba in the in the Senate. Like that, if Republicans had done that across the board, they'd be in really good shape right now. But instead, Oz Walker Greitens, maybe Johnson Masters, um, uh, which we can get into if you want, or, or um, yeah. I want to do a deeper dive on later, uh, is is also a lunatic. Uh, uh, you know that's gonna that's gonna be big trouble. And just one more thing on Arizona yeah. about Masters on the Democratic side on the positive side, um, and this might be different in some of the other states. But but uh, Mark Kelly, yeah, you know, you're running candidate. against astronauts, solid, right? And 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 so I, I think that conceivably, you know, Mark Kelly, I think that that also could have national implications. No, it obviously has national implications. So you 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 mentioned um, my home state senator Ron Johnson, who. <laughs> I, I don't want to mislead people. Ron Johnson can be reelected, but um, he is just going further. And uh, there's no other way to describe it is that he just keeps, you know, racing down one rabbit hole after another. It, it is, it's not like he's figured, hey, you know, I'm in a tough race. My approval ratings are in the tank. I need to clean it up. I need to not sound crazy anymore. So here he is on, what is this? It's on one of the sketchy cable channels that's <laughs> way to the right even of Fox News. And is he on I, OAN? Was he on OAN? Uh, you know what? I This is 18, sec- Whatever. This is 18 seconds long, and, and here he is trying to make a point of some kind. Let's play Ron Johnson. Highly concerned uh, in terms of Joe Biden's compromise, uh, the fact that he might have funded uh, his uh, son's use of you know, pot- potentially uh, escorts 
in part of a, a sex scandal, a global sex scandal, a sex uh, uh, operation is also troubling. <laughs> I mean, what the actual fuck? I what don't is he talking about? I don't even know what he's talking about. But but it does appear to be the sort of you know QAnon. Ah, there's sex trafficking going on, and and Joe Biden is compromised because he financed this global sex scandal. And okay, look, I, you know, he can be reelected if the Democrats and you and I may disagree about this. If the Democrats nominate somebody who is really really vulnerable, like um, because I don't want to name names, like Mandela Barnes, Lieutenant Governor. This guy is going to be, I mean, it will not be a competitive race, uh, unfortunately. On the other hand, Johnson keeps going further and further, and he can't stop himself, won't stop himself, and he keeps going this way. And it is just a strange thing because there's so much other stuff that he could be talking about. He could be talking about inflation or the border or crime or spending. I mean, all of these things, and yet there he is talking about... Global sex scandals, global sex um operations. And this is again the <laughs> contrast that you just have to uh, like to be an honest broker. Like you just have to note the contrast between these Republican candidates and the Democratic Senate candidates. I, you know, I, I know that there, there's a lot of people in the center space that like to do the oh both sides are getting crazy, and there's some stuff about the Democrats that I don't love. But uh, even Barnes. And I'll just, I'll just give a slight defense of him, who has definitely said some stuff in the past that's going to make him vulnerable um, about ICE. If you actually watch the campaigns that are being run and, like, look at the ads that Mandela's putting up and look at the tweets that he sends, I, I you know, compare it. And same. This is true across the board. John, um, uh, Tim Ryan in Ohio. We just mentioned Mark Kelly in Arizona. Like, all, all of the Democratic candidates are running kitchen table, center left campaigns for the most part. And and recognize that they need to try to appeal to you know swing voters like the Republican guys aren't even trying. And what Ron Johnson like can it's it's like every week there's a new thing. I was on Chris Hayes last week and he's like we got to change the subject and just talk about Ron Johnson's like complicity in the coup. Yeah, and, and so that was last you week. Know, I just think that like <laughs> yeah, that was last week. It's just like this guy. It's like it's QAnon, coup, and vaccine conspiracies is is where Ron Johnson is. I mean, no matter how far left you think some of these Democrats are, that's there's not a it, really a, it, a it, equivalence it, here. It, it doesn't matter whether they're equivalent or how far left yeah, I sure. think they're. I'm just telling you that in Wisconsin. Mandela Barnes is the one Democrat who is not going to beat Ron Johnson. And by the way, other Democrats know that as well. But I don't, I don't want to dwell on all of this. So okay. I don't, if, because we have yeah. Wisconsin listeners, I just want to throw out there. I don't love Lazary either as as a fallback candidate in Wisconsin. I just want to get a little nerdy because in a different way than Mandela, I think he's a weird contrast. Um, trust fund kid, does, hasn't really done anything. You know, I mean, in Wisconsin, the the Democrats are going to need to win. And this is true across the board. It's true in Pennsylvania, right? Like, how do you balance winning the suburban swing voters that put Biden over the top, trying to put some cap on the Republicans' margin in the whole rest of the state? This is where McCullough failed, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. He lost in both categories, right? And so you need a candidate in all these things, all these races, if you're the Democrats, that can do at least one of those things and ideally both right and so fetterman is the prime example of someone who's gonna you know the strategy is to keep the cap down on the in in the rural parts and and you know mark kelly is a good at prime example of somebody that can you know do well in the suburbs you know i worry that 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 lazary's neither of those so and there are other candidates in the race so we don't need to get too nerdy on wisconsin politics but that's something to think about yeah
No, Sarah Godlewski is the is the state treasurer. She's not well known, um, but she has run a bad campaign. Uh, there's another guy named uh, Tom Nelson, who uh, and and I have to admit I I don't know these folks very well, but I I see Ron Johnson as n- not not making the savviest moves. I think that that is safe, and <laughs> and, and I will say that I I am I am I am done trying to explain wh- how his brain got broken. Um, but I will say that. Um, he seems quite rattled by uh, the situation right now. So there was a little, there was a time when there was a certain bravado, a certain swagger in his step, like, uh, okay, I'm I'm going MAGA and I'm going full MAGA and, you know, I'm not apologizing for anything. But I think that really since the, you know, his uh, his role in the coup and in, in passing along the fake electors came out, uh, some other stuff, he seems like a candidate who is uh, rattled. Okay, so there's one other position that I want to take that I believe might be considered politically incorrect, and I want to get your take on it, but let's do that (laughs) right after this. Okay, we are back with Tim Miller, who I don't know that I've mentioned this yet, Tim, but your book is number two on the New York Times bestseller list this week. So congratulations. I, I don't know. Oh I my just, God. I'm sorry. It's I, still not I, sinking I, in, really. Should, I, should, I should have mentioned that at the top. See, what I really love is that you're excited every time I mention it. See, this is the cool I thing still, about it. I still am. I'm legitimately excited. I just got goosebumps the third time you mentioned it. I just got goosebumps. This, this is amazing. This, this is good. I, I, I'll, work, I'll try to work it in one, one more time, I promise. <laughs> okay. Okay, now, I have not totally absorbed how I think about this. In fact, this is one of those those moments where I don't know what I fully think about it until I've written about it and I have not written about it, okay? I mean, I am concerned about all of the pressure that's being put on Joe Biden right now over the release of Brittany Griner. Now, I am very, very sympathetic to her situation. I think that she is being treated incredibly unjustly and inhumanely. This is a woman, there's no reason why she should be have been jailed for this long for what appears to be a minor mistake um, involving hash in a pipe. It's, it's you know, and the fact that she has to plead guilty and that she's you know held in a cage for two and a half hours and all of this. However, there is this massive campaign now putting pressure on Biden as if it is Biden's job to do something about it, which I'm translating into, number one, that somehow, okay, this is Vladimir Putin who is holding her hostage. There's no question about that. But all of the pressure is on Biden to somehow reward Vladimir Putin by making a concession to him to get something, which is, okay, that's problematic. Number two, there are other Americans who are in prison in Russia and in other places. There's a guy, a next Marine named Whelan, who's been in prison in Russia for some time. He is not a prominent NBA star, and celebrities are not beating on the White House's door to get him out. There's something about this that is just it feels wrong, and I—I I don't know. I want to get your take on all this because you know. Again, I understand the impulse to say that she's a WNBA star. She's very prominent. She's being treated terribly unfairly. What are we going to do about it? Well, wait. There are a lot of reasons why Joe Biden should not be at this moment put under this kind of pressure to do something about this one celebrity prisoner when there are other celebrity prisoners, and not to mention there's the war going on in Ukraine. What do you think about this? Help, help yeah. me sort this out. I didn't. I wasn't prepped for this, so you blindsided me with this topic, which I like. I like. It keeps us on our right. toes. Mm-hmm. 
I want to caveat this. I'm on the other side, but I want to caveat at the front that, that the Griner situation has been like number three on my list of things I want to write about for a month now, and I just haven't gotten around to it. I, I'm made I, I'm made blind with rage by it. I, I just, it makes me so mad and so emotional that that it's possible that you are saying things with a more level headed mm-hmm. uh, perspective than I am on this. And I, in my view, I, look, I, I still I think that particularly with you know, emotions dull, right? Like this in this Ukraine situations now, you know, we're in for the long haul, right? And and so, have I don't I don't know that it's bad to have a high profile reminder to the country of just how like depraved Vladimir Putin is, right. you know, something that might get people, you know, who are more casual, you know, who aren't following the day-to-day news that's happening, you know, in Eastern Europe, but, you know, might get information about this from sports radio or from whatever, um, um, you know, more non-news ideological outlets. So I think in some ways that it serves that purpose of like keeping people's focus on, on the evil in Russia. And, and you know, number two, I, just on principle, I've been a little frustrated with the Biden administration across the board on the human rights stuff. Like they just they haven't been particularly good, and we're seeing this with MBS. And I, I'm gonna have another. We talked about this okay. on maybe the last podcast. I agree with you on that. Ago. Okay. Yeah, but I'm gonna have a lot come in more on Saudi. I've been doing a lot of research on this, but but what he's been doing with MBS, I just I think is really, uh, really weak. And 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 this has been true in Egypt, and it's true with. I I just, you know, I get it. He, he you don't want to expend all this political capital on a few human rights cases, and you know, we're in a tough geopolitical situation. We're in a tough situation economically, you know, um, uh, with global inflation. So I understand it, but I'm a little disappointed, and I'm and I'm enraged by what's happening. And the Grinder situation is is outrageous, and so. I see your point, but I, I don't know. For me, I, I think that I'm a little more on the side of being. No, I, I understand that, that the that, administration that, hasn't been more proactive. Okay, that's why I wanted to talk to you about it because uh, you know I am yeah. not, as you probably have noticed, you know, in the in the mode of defending the Biden administration about much of anything, except in this particular case, the pressure on him is to do what um, is to release a prominent. Russian arms dealer with close ties to Vladimir Putin, because the only way to get her out is probably a prisoner exchange of some kind. So the way that the focus has shifted from what I think you legitimately pointed out should be on the inhumanity of Vladimir Putin, it has now become like, well, what is Joe Biden going to do? What's Joe Biden going to do? Joe Biden is not doing this. Joe Biden is not imprisoning her. Joe Biden right. you know, has lots of reasons not to want to appease Vladimir Putin or give him something at this moment in order to get a very prominent, famous person out of jail. So, I mean, this is the part of the problem. It's like and I was listening to you know, the wife of the other prisoner who was there saying, wait, our guy has been there, this ex-Marine Whelan, you know, has been – was you know, uh, yeah. convicted of some trumped-up charges and – we haven't had, you know, a celebrity America, you know, enraged about all of this. Uh, we haven't had the president and the vice president on the phone talking to, you know, his wife about all of this. So there is a little bit of starstruck, um, like, you know, can we, uh, you know, just step back from this for a moment. There's no good solution to all of this, except this is yeah. one of those moments where we, I think we just turned it on its head. Because, you know, if this was, in fact, inducing more rage against the inhumanity of Putin, great. But if this has become a data point in the weakness of Joe Biden, I have a problem with that. I have this tough to argue with that. Okay, all right. So yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's tough. To, it's, yeah, it's tough to argue with that. And, I, and I'm sorry to blindside you because I know 
No, 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 they, no, they, no, 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 wait, no, wait, right. well, this is, well, I'm glad we're talking about this topic, actually. It's an important topic. Well, you know, it's let, tough let me, to let, let, stuff let, sometimes. let me complete my apology. I okay. apologize for blindsiding you because I know that you have been busy promoting and doing your book tour <laughs> for your New York Times bestselling book, <laughs> which I would urge everyone to get. And I know you're going from one interview to another and this is this yeah. is a consuming experience and uh, i'm amazed that you have the bandwidth to talk about anything else right now because you know right now you know this is what's got to be consuming for you especially when you woke up the other day and found that you were n- number two on the new york times bestseller list <laughs> is, it, is this still working by the way is it still uh, well is it, still it is still working right, even right, number right, five right. the number number five lost a little bit of the edge but it's still it's still hell it still is good okay um, so and, what uh, about yeah what, well I, i'm gonna be here at the home team no matter what I'll always okay, be here so, at the home team okay so how about this actually i just i just hold on I'm, I'm dropping this on you live now i was gonna do it off the air but we're doing this already <laughs> i because i just promised that i'll always be here for the home team yeah. and that's actually not true because next thursday if you're listening and you live in Louisiana, uh, I'm having a book event in New Orleans. My friend Jonathan Martin, who wrote This Will Not Pass, James Carville's going to be there. I think some local musicians that I'm a big fan of are going to be there. It's on Thursday night. It's gonna. We're having an after party. I, I don't know that Friday next Friday is going to be in the cards for me. Um, I, I, I think I, that I, figured, I might be a pretty. That. I might be in a pretty deep. I might be in a pretty deep hangover on Friday morning. So um, you know, either we can you know push it back for more of a late late Friday, or, or maybe you guys can just miss me one week. You can just allow me to kind of bask I, in I, this I, with my New Orleans pals I, for one week. I think considering it's New Orleans, I think we need to let you bask on on all of this. <laughs> okay. Although we, we, we have a live stream that we do on Thursday nights, and you put on Slack, hey, I'm really sorry I can't make it. And I wrote back to you. I said, you're not sorry. <laughs> I'm a little sorry. <laughs> All right. So sorry. I don't want it to get old for you, and I want people to be able to participate in this celebration. So, Tim, this is for you. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining me. We'll talk to you in a, in a couple of weeks. And thank you all for listening to this weekend's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday, and we'll do this all over again. Bulwark.